Hello, and thank you for listening to Potential Health Podcast. My name is Rosie Piercy. I'm a chiropractor and clinic director, and I find the subject of health fascinating. In this podcast, every fortnight, we'll be discussing health from a different perspective. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Total Health Podcast. My name is Rosie Piercy, and today I'm here with another Rosie, Rosie Waters, who's one of the councillors here. Rosie, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hi. Good. So it's going to be a bit weird because we're both Rosies, but I'm sure we'll, we'll work it out. So, first of all, why, what, do you, what kind of counselling do you do, and why do you decide to be a counsellor? Okay, so I am a humanistic counsellor, which means I'm a relational counsellor. Okay. Um, I came into counselling from a nursing background. Okay. I was nursing for about 25 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Yes, that includes my training. Um, and I loved it. I had a great career, but I got to the point of where I realised that I was much more interested in the emotional mm-hmm. health side of things, and I like to spend a lot of time with patients. And I realised I was quite good I suppose yeah. at supporting people emotionally mm-hmm. through difficult procedures yeah. in hospital so once I had my children and I left nursing it was sort of a natural progression for me to well to think about going into counselling and then retrain and, and here I am today um, with no regrets. I oh think that's good. My nursing career has given me a, a good grounding. And you must a good see a background. lot when you nurse. Yeah. I imagine there's not much that would shock you. Nothing. Not, <laughs> well, I'm sure there's always something, but no, not much would shock me. And I guess maybe in similar to counselling, when you're, when you're nursing, you see people when they're at the most vulnerable or very... In a different way. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps more emotionally vulnerable than, than physically vulnerable. Because that physical vulnerability often brings emotional vulnerability Absolutely. with it, doesn't it? Because you're scared or you're yeah. anxious. and Which is always the part of people that I was good at helping. Yeah. Be- you know, I like the physical side of things, but I was always more comfortable sitting and having a chat with the patient for long periods of time, and that used to get me into trouble sometimes. <laughs> Can't <laughs> imagine that. getting my work done. <laughs> but I suppose it's, I think, is it something that's possibly underestimated the importance of just having not just but having someone's hand to hold absolutely and someone to talk to about it and and it's really important isn't it absolutely I mean you probably know from yourself when you're poorly you feel really vulnerable yeah you just want someone to sit with you to hold your hand just that physical human touch and even when people are are dying or facing really traumatic Mm -hmm. news um, from either for themselves or their loved ones just a hand to hold someone to just listen to how they might be feeling without rushing them through is just so important to people because it's that personal connection isn't yeah. it you're not just a conveyor belt Absolutely. person or something that someone cares for that instant that, that you're okay yeah excellent and and so you said a couple of things when you first started that you're a humanistic counsellor what does yeah. that mean so that means that I see a person as a, as a whole being as a, as a human mm-hmm. being I use myself as a human being it's sort of two humans meeting together to try and work through somebody's problems I I don't see myself as an expert or give Mm -hmm. people lots of strategies and techniques I mean that's part of the work but it's not not my main focus I don't try to change thought patterns or beliefs and there's a there's a place for all of that that's not the way that I work so um and when I say relational I mean um that I use the relationship between me and the client to as the vehicle for growth okay if that makes sense it does make sense that sounds quite so how do you, I first we'll come into that, um, so one of the things that you, you do is attachment theory, is that yes. right? So explain attachment theory, because I, until a few months ago, I'd not really heard of this. Okay, so when I do attachment theory, it's more, it's an area of interest of mine, and I'm mm. just coming to the end of a postgrad training in it. Um, so it's more of a, it's a focus of my work, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. um, 
not an attachment-based therapist as such, but I work in an attachment-orientated way. Okay. Um, so attachment theory is very complex. Okay. Um, but in a sort of broadly, it's, I guess some people would call it the theory of love. Okay. So it's how we attach to people. Okay. Um, starts when we're born. It's mm-hmm. a biological drive. When we come into this world, if we don't attach to a caregiver, we won't thrive. We is that because we have thrive. to? When we're babies, we're so helpless, aren't yes. we? We need we need mummy and daddy, yeah. or at least one of them, or someone Absolutely. to love us and feed us yeah. and keep us warm and look after yeah. us, and someone to give, provide us safety. Mm-hmm. We need a secure base. We need to feel safe, as well as being fed and watered and kept warm. We need to feel safe psychologically, okay. otherwise we don't thrive. Okay. And that's what attachment theory is. And we have attachment needs all the way through our lifespan. It's not just something that we need when we're born. So we attach to our caregivers in the early years. Mm -hmm. We then attach to friendship, to friends. We then attach to partners, boyfriends, Mm -hmm. girlfriends. We then attach to our spouses. And then it comes full circle if we have our own children and we form attachments to them. Okay. So it's, and and it's from cradle to grave. So it's quite complex. Yes. And and life lasting. So it's not. Because did they do an experiment where they had a, a warm monkey? That had, had no milk, and a monkey that had no had milk but no hair yes. or something. Yeah, it's is it's, that attachment um, theory? Was that something it's different? Sort of, it's sort of yes. It's um, is it uh, is it Harwell's monkeys? A cloth monkey and a wire monkey. Yeah, is I, that what you're that, thinking? That's the of? one. Yeah, and the, they what they believe proved from that was that the wire monkey might feed the babe the baby. Mm. But the baby, in, and if, if the baby's threatened or distressed, it will go to the cloth monkey, even though it's not going to get any more Because it wants to cuddle. Because it wants to cuddle. Oh. So that's how important... Cuddling and being cuddling warm and, and being secure. is and secure. Yeah. That's quite interesting, isn't yeah. it? Right, sorry, that's completely off topic. Just something that just came <laughs> into my head there. Um, so are there different types of, of... So what are the different types of attachment, then, that people have? Okay, so that's, again, quite complicated... Mm-hmm. In an ideal world, we form a secure attachment, okay. which is when our caregiver has been responsive, attuned, mm-hmm. given us what we need most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, as adults, we then become very secure in ourselves. Okay. We're very autonomous. We're, we can cope with intimacy, but also cope with being on our own. We can ask for help mm-hmm. and, um, and then accept help when it's given You know, in, in a healthy way. And we're pretty sort of secure individuals. Yeah. That's if things go well. Most of us will have an insecure, or many of us, that's not fair to say, many of us will have what's called an insecure attachment. So how many people have that secure? The statistics change all mm. the time, so I'm not really going to comment. I guess it's quite difficult to analyse. It, it is, and it depends what you read, who's done the, the research, it, and I don't, my understanding is there aren't any hard and fast I guess it's rules. not a yes or no tick box type. Not. But no. would you say more people are secure than insecure? No, more Most people, people are insecure. insecure. I, in my personal experience, but that could go against the theory. I don't know what the current statistics are, but truthfully. but probably more on the insecure than secure. Certainly in my work, I don't see any insecure people because mm. they don't need therapy. <laughs> so secure ones are all sorted. The insecure yes. ones come to help. Yes. Right. So what kind of insecure attachments do people have? Then? So there are. Some main types we would see which are insecure avoidant mm-hmm. types, which are people who um, are fairly self-sufficient, mm-hmm. they're fairly cut off from their mm-hmm. own emotions, mm-hmm. um, they don't really, they're the people who sort of don't do emotions, mm-hmm. they're not comfortable with needing anything from others, um, 
that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Then there are other people who are we would see perhaps as more anxious, preoccupied or ambivalent style mm-hmm. attachment who people like this can be very emotional, they're mm-hmm. very high reactors, so they can be very dramatic, they can be fly off the handle in anger mm-hmm. or collapse in floods of tears. Mm-hmm. They're they're not particularly good at regulating their own emotions. Um, they, they're very emotional in their language and mm-hmm. they talk about emotions a lot don't really know what to do with those emotions they're a bit overwhelmed with their emotions okay. whereas an avoidant person is just not overwhelmed with them at all just they don't even really feel kind of detach from them they're completely detached there's been a complete splitting off or detachment from their emotions okay and then you have an, a category called um, disorganized or unresolved attachment mm-hmm. which is where there's been trauma in the background okay and those people can it's very hard to distinguish what they are they can be very um, so they flip they can flip um, they can be very chaotic in their lifestyle um, perhaps have personality disorders or just you know so that would be a great smaller perhaps, perhaps. I'm, I'm not really sure I'm, I'm reluctant to, to I know to I'm trying to get a number out of you and it doesn't work get a number out of me damn it no. um, but I think it's really important to say here that we cannot box people in. Attachment theory is not about boxing people in and saying, oh, you're an avoidance, so you behave like this. You're a preoccupied, so you behave like this. Because actually, one thing I've learned over my three-year training is that it's incredibly nuanced. And actually, attachment styles are more states of mind than categories. So can people move from one yes, to the other? absolutely. And can they be one with someone? Absolutely. And someone? absolutely. So is, is that why, because um, we've been talking before about dating yes. off mic, yeah. is that why someone can be relatively sane in their life mm-hmm. and I'm thinking particularly maybe of women and this might be unfair and then as soon as they fancy a guy their brain just melts goes to like complete overdrive if it would that be more of an anxious attachment type yes thing? I think I think perhaps and do you think women do that thing on that where they go like constantly call the guy or whatever like, is that kind of an anxious that's a much more of an anxious style and what we find is that a particular style in or a state of mind in somebody will be triggered by the behaviour of somebody else. So if somebody who's, who has a tendency to be more preoccupied is faced with an avoidant mm. person who's quite keeping them at distance, it will, what we said, the theory says is it activates attachment needs, which means you then go into your... Go into your... Go into your style. Go into your crazy. It's not crazy. Well, not crazy. No, <laughs> don't use the word crazy. crazy. Um, the other thing I think to say is as well is although we can move and fluctuate mm. and you'll often find a combination of the different mm. styles within one person... What we do find is that in absolute distress, yeah. so if you're really, really under threat, mm. you will nearly always revert to a core type, which yeah, is where the core attachment style comes from. So we'll all perhaps have a core style, mm. but then in life we will move around between the different states. Oh, that's quite interesting. See, I didn't yeah. know that. I thought you were like one or the other. Yeah, it's it's very nuanced, it's, and it's 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 complicated. It's not as easy as we think it is. No, and so. Can you work out someone's attachment style just by looking at them? Like as a rand, like a lay person like myself, could I go, oh, they're more likely to be this or that? Or? You can make a hypothesis yeah. and, yeah, they're more likely to be. To truly find someone's attachment mm. style, you have to do what's called an adult attachment interview, okay. which takes a long time for us to learn to do it. I haven't learned mm. how to do it, but it's it, that is really the only time mm. you actually get a, yeah. an actual, what you know, atta- true attachment style. Other than that... The way I work is I hypothesise, so yeah. I, I will not only listen to the content of what a client mm. is telling me, but I'll also listen to and watch, observe the way that he or she is 
telling me things because the way someone tells you a story is just as important as what they're telling you. Because I guess you could say the same story in several different ways and that would mean different things, is that right? Um, more that more what I'm thinking is if you if somebody tells you a lot of detail mm. and a lot of superfluous detail and you're kind of going oh what's important here and what's not yeah. and, and there's just a lot of detail and you feel a little overwhelmed that can sometimes indicate a preoccupied style mm. where it's hard to pin down what what's important because yeah. there's so much detail somebody who's fairly avoidant will be very factual and as a therapist you can sometimes feel that you're an interrogator mm. asking lots of questions but it, within these styles, there is a there is a scale. So you might have someone who's extremely avoidant, who's unlikely to ever really come to therapy. Yeah. But someone who's a bit avoidant, but more towards the secure end, will come to therapy. And so it's again, it's about, just it's about scales. Yeah. Of, so you just because you're saying somebody's avoidant or preoccupied, they will be on a there'll be a scale of that le- lesser or more. more. Does that that makes sense? Make sense? Yeah, it does. Like a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Cool. Um, and so, do do people in relationships do they tend to go for the same as them, or opposites, or does it not work like that? I don't know a great deal about. Mm-hmm. I'm not a couples therapist, so it's not something I've studied extensively. But it's a difficult question. I think I think we go for patterns that we're comfortable with yeah. as children. Mm-hmm because it's just familiar and it's comfortable but I don't think it's always the case that we'll always be attracted to a particular kind but you will find that some relationships just don't work out because Mm. well if if you're looking at this theory because of the I mean obviously there are lots of reasons why relationships don't work out but for example if you have two preoccupied style attachment people together Mm. the relationship was likely to be very intense lots of breakups and getting back together it's a drama lots of drama because they both feed off the drama yes. yeah yes this is all very generalized and yeah. as i say i'm yeah. not a couples therapist yeah. and then perhaps if you had an avoidant person and a preoccupied person together what what we sometimes see is you've got the avoidant sorry the um preoccupied person is the relentless pursuer so he's yeah. constantly going after the yeah. avoidant the avoidance going whoa no 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 <laughs> leave me yeah. and you have this kind of this person's pulling away yeah. and this person's running towards um, and that can be quite difficult. I believe that's what brings a lot of couples to therapy, that, that dynamic. That, yeah, and managing it, I guess. And managing that. And two avoidance together, you're, my understanding, it's fairly unlikely you'll get... They like to really work because it's a long-distance relationship mm. which suits both, but they generally lack the glue to, to, stick. to stick together. Okay. But that, this is all very general. Yeah, no, exactly, because <laughs> unless you had... A specific person we were talking about another thing you couldn't do it and there's so much more that feeds into this than just attachment theory it's just what other things feed into it I'm not a couple's therapist (laughs) a very unfair question yeah um so so do people's so do people's attachment styles and you're saying coming mostly from their parents or their caregivers their caregiver their early caregivers which are generally the parents and generally the mother is the primary caregiver oh gosh but (laughs) yes yes I've been been is is there some guilt but (laughs) well not not so for yourself but I think like I think you find as you read things as a mother about oh if you've done this and you've essentially screwed your child up and you're like oh how much have I done I've done it a little I've done it a lot it's so difficult isn't it it is difficult and I think with the training that I've done I've I've been on a journey with that mm. I'm not going to mm. say too much about that here but I've had my own therapy mm. and I've had my own journey through that but I think for any parent 
it, it's difficult trying and I think you just have to be good enough yeah I think is what is that where's there's a psychologist is that phrase come from Dr Winnicott that's all I'm yeah. good enough being a good enough mother mm-hmm. and I think I think that's, that's all you can do, isn't it? Remember, is that we can only ever be a good enough mum, a good mm. enough friend, a yeah. good enough partner. Yeah. Because we're all human and we all make mistakes. Otherwise, you drive yourself crackers. You would. It? Yeah. You would. And it's, I think a lot of people do drive themselves crackers yeah. over it, don't they? And this is not about guilt or, mm. or as a mum or about even blaming our own parents. Yeah. It's about understanding. Yeah. One of the biggest things in therapy for me is about understanding why our parents might have done what they did and eventually coming to a point of compassion yeah very few people if any bring a child into this world deliberately thinking they're going to harm this child most people are doing the best they can Mm. with what they've been given and with the resources that they've got and sometimes those resources are far from ideal and you have a suboptimal environment but most people try and do the best they can so it's about making sense of our backgrounds understanding our backgrounds and eventually coming to hopefully some kind of compassion for our parents because i guess about blame no because i guess our parents would only have learned from their parents exactly what we've learned on our course is that you intergenerational stuff you go back generations their parents their parents their Mm. parents and everyone's just trying to do the best you have to take in the social context the historical context all of it 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 this is why it's just it is so complicated and I must reiterate it's not about blaming our parents no it's about making sense of it because I often think like so my parents they would have been children during the the war or the end of the war and that must have had a massive impact huge impact you know with all the men that didn't come back Mm -hmm. all the men that came back who were severely Mm -hmm. traumatised that wasn't spoken about at all stiff up a lip (laughs) or whatever way that people cope with it so that must have had a massive impact on how they were parented absolutely and that's maybe coming through more now do you think I think it's part of it for sure yeah and it'd be interesting to see what I guess like my children and your children how they are being another generation yeah. away from that and you've got of course social media now and what we yeah. don't know yet what that's doing to people these digital natives what whether that's going to alter their attachments they can make because yeah, a lot of young people attach their phone is pretty much an attachment figure for many of them Gosh, so that's scary isn't it it's really interesting what what's happening and um, i guess because you could have friendships or maybe not even friendships but maybe is idolization the right word with people you've never met yes. on instagram yeah. who are just you think you know them, but you just see what yes. they post, which we all know is probably the best. The best of them. The best yes. of them, because no one really posts the, <laughs> I've had a day, <laughs> I'd like to put in a dustbin and start no, again. They, they post the good stuff. Exactly, which gives people very skewed. I think so. And does that affect attachment stuff generally, if people are seeing a skewed image of the world, do you think, just generally? I don't really, I think there's a... There hasn't been enough research yeah. done yet, but it's, it's certainly new. something to think about. Yeah. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we didn't have that. <laughs> I can still get my first phone. I think I was like 20. It was very exciting. <laughs> Whereas you can't imagine like an under 20, like a 16-year-old not having a phone now. Can I know. You? That's why they're digital natives. They've, they've I've not heard that with phrase them. before. Um, right. I was going to say, so how can you work on yourself to change your attachment type? Or how do you know when you should... I guess why would I come to see you? At what point would I decide? 
Generally, people don't come to the therapy because they specifically want to change their attachment style. Don't know about it, I guess. They, pardon? Because most people wouldn't know about no. it. No. Although, you see, in the School of Life, they have some very good videos no, on it. I'll show you later. Okay. Okay. Sorry, okay. completely go off track. <laughs> what was my question again? How, well, well, why would I come to see you? So, generally, it's, it's an issue or problem somebody brings mm-hmm. to therapy a, a relationship issue or a bereavement or anxiety or depression. So, mm-hmm. it's not an attachment yeah. thing that somebody will come with, but often that comes into mm-hmm. the work, particularly with, with the way the way I work and I think with regard to what you're saying how to change your attachment style it's really about working towards security that would Mm -hmm. be the ultimate aim is to become securely attached Mm -hmm. so in that sense yes changing your attachment style but it's more really about modifying your defenses what what the attachment styles we've been talking about have various defences or strategies that okay. go with them which help a person survive. And when they were children, those defences or strategies were really useful and they helped them survive. So if I was an avoidant person, what would a defence be? So instance? it would be to turn away from your caregivers, to shut your caregivers out, to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And that could be a self-protective yeah. mechanism because your carer was critical or rejecting or harsh mm-hmm. and it's very painful for a child to have repeated experiences of that so they learn to shut down mm-hmm. and just play or or do you know because they don't let it in then they become yeah. sensitized to or desensitized to it mm-hmm. does that yeah. make sense and if your caregiver is inconsistent and sometimes is reliable and, and can can give you the care and love you want and then sometimes is quite rejecting mm-hmm. the child doesn't know where they are so they learn to really activate their attachment needs or become very dramatic cry loudly or longer or because they're trying to elicit a response from yeah. the caregiver so all these defense or strategies i prefer the word um help us when we're little because they help us survive a, a, an environment but they can sometimes then hinder us when we're older okay. so if we're very um anxious and preoccupied with the, with relationships and we're very reactive that can not be very good in a relationship because mm. some people it's quite we might be quite high maintenance yeah. or quite you know emotional and somebody might find that quite difficult likewise if somebody's avoidant they might not really want people close to them they don't let people close so that makes it difficult so it's people at arm length yeah so they can't be hurt or yes have that harsh experience they had as a child yeah and i guess we wouldn't really be aware that we're doing this we're not and and i think our, our an unconscious sort of imagines that we're going to get that same experience mm from a partner so another part of attachment theory is as a result of our environments we develop what's called internal working models which you could say are like core beliefs or schemas or whatever other words might you might want to use but it basically means a way of seeing the world and other people in it so belief systems like every every man I ever meet is going to abandon me so if we have that core belief we behave in a certain way to try and stop him abandoning us so we're expecting that so maybe we'll leave them first yeah that kind of stuff I mean there's lots of patterns that we can see but that's that's kind of what we're talking about um so what I've forgotten what you actually asked me I can't remember (laughs) why I was talking no but I was really interested in that um we're talking about um coming to see you and changing oh yes so it's really oh so that's it so these patterns that we develop in childhood can get in the way as adults so people might want to change those patterns and that means going back to childhood having conversations about what childhood might have been like um, and just trying to make sense of some of that and look at some of these patterns and defenses and eventually try to modify or change them or, or get rid of them always with the aim in mind that the person can become 
more secure in themselves, more um, able to regulate their emotions in the case of a preoccupied person or more able to access their emotions in the pers- in the case of an avoidant person. And is that quite strange for that person if they've never really attached their emotions to suddenly yeah. go, oh. And that's why it's not, not a sudden. So the type of work I do can quite often be fairly long term. Yeah. Because this is not something that can be done in six weeks. I guess if you're coming to therapy in your 30s or 40s and you've been doing these things for 30 odd years, it's not going to be like, oh, I've had six sessions, I'm perfect, now off I go. (laughs) Exactly. It's very subtle and um, and it takes time. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, Good, that's really, I just find it all fascinating. Right, and so would, would if everyone was a secure attachment, mm. would the world be a better place, do you think? I think so, yeah. Would we all go, hold on, I can see what you're feeling there, or would it or just want to be more chilled, do you think? I or? think it might be. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe we should all... Because I don't... Because um, we don't really learn about emotions much, do we? Do you no. think, at school or no. at any point in I our lives? I think it's getting better in schools, but... yeah. There's probably still a long way to go. Because it's always a bit like, oh, just muddle on. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a bit like that. And teachers are busy and, and there's all sorts of reasons. But um, I think we're more aware of mental health issues now. Yeah. But we've still got a long way to it go. It seems in the past few years it's kind of turned on its head that it's been... I wouldn't say it's maybe socially acceptable to say I have depression or something. But it's more it's more getting towards that way, do you think? I think people are able to be more open about yeah. it. And, and I would love to see people to being much more open yeah. about it because lots of us suffer from depression yeah. and anxiety and we shouldn't need to hide those things life is tough sometimes yeah. and we all struggle sometimes and probably most of us have not come from a perfect childhood yeah and in fact a perfect childhood isn't that great anyway because actually if we've had a little bit of adversity that gives us resilience which exactly. is really important in life so it sets you up well doesn't yes. it for you know not that the world is horrible but the world has ups and downs that's right the being w- able to negotiate those. absolutely so we all need a little bit of resilience well we all need a lot of resilience yeah. and that comes from having some adversity in our life mm-hmm. but obviously too much adversity is detrimental so, so we have just the right amount yeah yeah, it'd be good if we can get to the point. Was it? I think was it Nick Clegg, Clegg said when he was deputy prime minister or something. Wouldn't it be good if we could go? Someone could say, "Oh, I've twisted my ankle," and someone could say, "Oh, yeah, I've really got really depression today." Yeah. And both of them will be seen as Absolutely. equal weighting, and, and none of that. <gasps> yeah, I don't know what to say now. I know. I would love to see that, and I think it's coming. Yeah, as I, I say, I think it's got a long way to go. I can see it happening. I think now, whereas I couldn't have done, maybe even a few years ago. Yeah. Excellent. So. In what ways can you work to improve... I suppose you're not a couples counsellor, so it might be an unfair question for you. But if you if you are finding you're constantly having... Maybe even in your family unit, mm. if you're saying anxious attachment and your parents are avoidant, is that how... It, that would be the pattern that you'd have? It's, you or can it be anything? It can, yeah. So how would you change that when you're talking to people? Or can would that be something that you do in therapy? Or? Within, within a family within unit. Within a family unit. That... There is family therapy Mm. for where people can go to have family therapy um, to work on the dynamics Mm. between the family. And that is really important, especially for children, because what's happening in the family is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I only work with individuals, so I probably can't really answer that question fairly. So, um, but if you're, if say you're having some therapy and you realise that you, I don't know, do you discuss what attachment people's parents are likely to have? Or can you not do that if you haven't met their parents? If you're going back into family relationships, if I'm working with an adult, I may talk about their experiences mm. of their family. But it, 
it's only their it's their experience that I'm hearing. So. And their, so their their what's their opinion on it, I guess. Well, yeah, their experience mm. and and how it was for them, and it's it's always whatever the parents were like however that client experienced them is what's important i guess it doesn't matter how they perhaps really were no if that's yeah it's it's what my client brings to me and what what he or she remembers and experienced that that i work with okay a family therapist may work differently but that's how because you're working one-on-one yes and is it quite painful for people to go back it can be very painful yeah because it's, I was talking, when we did a podcast um, last week with um, Nicola, she was saying that it's about counselling being quite hard work. Mm. It's quite tiring. Yes, People absolutely. don't often think about that side of it, do they? They think, just go along and talk to someone for 45 minutes and then I'll go off and do whatever. Mm. But it's quite, can be it's, quite in-depth, can't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. And it can really, it can make people feel worse before they feel better. And when we are working on some quite deep issues for people, it can be incredibly painful. Yeah. And is that quite hard for yourself to see people not suffering but being upset? Or is that part of your training and I guess your it's, nursing background to just cope with that? It's part of my training and, and I do cope with it. But of course, I'm human as well mm. and I, I don't like to see anybody in distress. But I I guess being a therapist, I know that it's all in the service of yeah. the greater good. So that and, and I know that people will come through that and next time I meet them, it, it'll be different. So it's really about staying with what the client's where the client is in that moment in time and sometimes that is very painful for both them and me and then other weeks it can be it can be different so it's just really about staying with the client throughout their journey and I guess they will know that won't they that this might get better worse before it gets better I do tell them that at the beginning of therapy um whether people sort of hold on to that I I don't know (laughs) people just need to know that they that it won't last for it won't be like this forever and that they have got my support while they're going through yeah while we are exploring the more difficult issues but it's not easy the therapy is not for the faint-hearted it's i think people think it's a bit i well maybe not so much now with things changing but i think i think maybe i don't know if it comes over from america everyone having a therapist (laughs) that it's kind of almost like a play thing do you know what i mean or or uh, uh not it isn't but that people go and do it rather than it's proper medical. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Very badly trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you really immerse yourself in therapy, it's really hard work. And as I say, it's not for the faint-hearted. You have to be very courageous and very brave to be Mm -hmm. able to look at yourself in the mirror, which can be what some of therapy is like as we look at patterns and we look at um, issues for a client. It's... um, it's a very courageous thing to do, actually, to come and see a therapist week on week and really go into that childhood stuff and more more difficult stuff. So I really, really admire any client that commits to therapy and, and commits to themselves in this way. I, I think it's remarkable. And is, and is it nice as a therapist to see when your clients start to make realisations or it's changes? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And it's such a privilege to to share that journey with people and to to be alongside them while they're exploring these these really quite difficult issues many in many cases it's it's very humbling actually and do you often see a big change in how people are when they come in the first time to when they finish it, in long term work yes it's really lovely to see the progress and when we get towards the end of therapy we do start to review that progress and try and help the client see how far they've come and it, it, it's re- that's a, that's the really lovely part of therapy and see people smiling yeah. and happy and do they have more kind of external changes like different clothes or different some 
sometimes some, or is it more just a confidence that they get? It's more of an internal internal feeling but yes some clients do change the way they present themselves to the world or they may find a new relationship and it it goes well and and those things are all what's happening in the client's life outside the therapy room is is always really lovely to hear about and when they make make changes that are positive and healthy and they're thriving on that that's just wonderful to see and is it strange having therapy with someone for very many weeks and them knowing very little about you because I imagine as a therapist you don't give much away no I I yeah I don't give much away but um sometimes I you know I do do say little bits but yes it's it it can feel a bit unbalanced if that's the right word it's a it's a it's a different kind of relationship than you have with anybody else yeah. because yes I know all this about them and they know very little do they often want to know more about some you? do and some don't um, and is there guidelines on that? Yeah, we have an ethical code and self-disclosure is a part of that and any self-disclosure we make should always be in the best interest of the client. So, so you tend to keep most of it? Yeah. 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 How, how will that knowledge help this client? Because it must be... I must be tempted just to go, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I guess that's <laughs> where the professionalism comes in yeah. is that you don't go... And like I say, it's a different kind of relationship. So I, I have friends mm. and I have... Obviously, I have, you know, friends and a family and... and that's where it's more yeah you know flowing in two way but uh, but yes a therapist and client relationship is a is a very unique kind of relationship it is completely one side yeah which is the whole point of it i guess uh, yes and i've been in the client's chair mm. i mean it's my training i've had to have many years of therapy mm. so i do know what it's like to be the client and, and the therapist not for it to be that that sort of difference in relationship and um yeah it's 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 unique. It is unique. It's unique. <laughs> and I guess, because uh, we talked again a bit about this with Nicola as well, because obviously you have to be in a relatively same place yourself, I guess, to be able to be a counsellor or a therapist. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, same's an interesting word, because well, I'm not sure if any of us are truly sane, but I think certainly what I've learned on my attachment journey is that therapists quite often come from an insecure mm-hmm. attachment style mm. and are, are working towards security mm. and many therapists are well on the way to security because they've through throughout training and um, personal therapy it, it's a natural way mm-hmm. to to work towards security but are any of us ever fully sorted or sane I'm not sure what therapists are human the same yeah. as anybody else and we have all the same emotions that anybody else yeah. has my brain works the same as any other humans yeah. so um, we're perhaps just a little bit further one would hope <laughs> a little bit further down this the secure Good. journey than some of our clients yeah because I was talking um some of you off mic and mm. also Nicola last week about having to have supervision so, yes. so that you can t- help deal with all the things that you hear because mm. we're saying it's quite not maybe not strange but the chiropractors don't particularly have that mm. we have CPD in that but we don't have people to talk to and I guess we're not hearing the same kind of emotional mm things as you are but it's a safe space and people like to talk about things in a space where they know it doesn't matter what they say Mm. it's not going to leave the door Mm. but is there do you have times when you have to intervene if people say something that that you have to contact someone else or is that very very rare it's very rare um and it's we do have a confidentiality agreement and there are exceptions to that Mm. so should i be worried about a client's safety then Mm. i do have a you know moral obligation to to pass that on and I always tell my clients that 
yeah. in the first instance uh, when we first meet. Um, likewise, if, if I'm subpoenaed to court or mm. the law requires that they see my notes or any disclosure, then I'm you know, the law overrides everything else. But obviously that's very rare. That's never happened. Find some some word to touch Um, it. And I've never had to disclose anything in a a client session. I think perhaps in um, mental health with people who are perhaps more sick than I'm it's different and it's it's different but um, but yes I am bound by an ethical code and and, and I do you know my primary concern is the client and the client's well-being and the client's safety so if I do have to if I feel I have to intervene because of something they're telling me then I would do, but I, my aim would always be to do it with the client's consent. Yeah, but that obviously doesn't happen very often. But no, just in case, because yeah. you never know what you're going to hear, do you? No, but no. So with a nursing background, <laughs> not much shocks. <laughs> no, no. Excellent. Um, was there any other questions I wanted to ask? I don't think so. Um, so the questions I ask everyone. Okay. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yeah, I really had to think about this. Um, and I think it would be to, to just be yourself in the world. And I can't say any particular person gave me that advice. It's just advice I've perhaps read about or picked up over the years. But it's certainly the piece that's resonated with me the most is be myself in the world. Don't be who an, and other people want you to be or who such, think you should be. Such good advice. But quite it's simple, but it's quite hard, isn't yeah. it? It's quite brave yes. to be, to be yourself, to own who you are there's a phrase actually I saw yesterday and I can't remember I think it's quite a famous phrase okay. but I can't remember who said it it was something like be a first class copy of yourself not a okay. second rate copy of anyone else okay I, I, I want to say Dolly Parton said that <laughs> but I'm not sure that's true okay I may have my brain may have mashed several things together <laughs> but that was the general the yeah. idea of the quote was yeah. that, that it's better to be yourself yeah however hard that is yeah and I guess you you would then attract the people who like you really rather than the people who like the pretend version of you. I hope, yeah, I hope so. I think just being genuine in the world is really the only way to be. And I yeah. say that now in in my, you know, as I'm much older than I, <laughs> I didn't always think like that. But I think being genuine and authentic is probably the best way to be in the world, the only way to be in the world. No, I think... It's when you really relate to people on a human, a real you can really connect with people on a on a human level. I think I'd agree with that. And what's the best piece of advice you give your clients? I don't know if it would be the best piece of <laughs> advice, but the piece of advice I do dish out quite a lot is be kind to yourself. Yeah. Because it's a bit of a mantra of mine and um, perhaps it, it comes from some a personal place, but um, I just think so many of us beat ourselves up yeah. and are not very kind to ourselves. And... I see that in some of my clients sometimes mm. and I will often say even at the end of I think I probably say at the end of most sessions take care of yourself be kind to yourself and yeah. I really mean it from a place of yeah really take care of yourself I must admit it's something I found saying to my patients who mm. I'm not even dealing with in an emotional way mm. but just saying just just be nice to yourself yeah. go and have 10 minutes yeah. just be kind you know stop yeah. being so harsh you know because a lot of people are very harsh on themselves aren't they I know and it's not not good for you I don't think it is and it's something I feel quite strongly about I, I wrote about it in the, the last clinic magazine and I'm writing something similar for this month's clinic magazine but it's something that I feel probably it does come from a personal place yeah. because I feel so strongly about it but 
Like you say, people just beat themselves up. Because the world will beat you up enough if you let it. Well, it will. Without yourself doing it to yourself as well. And self-kindness and self-compassion, it's so important. But it's not something... It seems that a lot of people struggle with this. It's something we're not not taught. I think we're not. And we think it's quite selfish. Yeah, or lazy. Or lazy. Or we think we need to... We think people won't like us if we don't do A, B and C for other people. And we put us... A lot of people put themselves bottom of the pile, yeah. bottom of the list and that isn't always the healthiest thing to do because, well it's never the healthiest thing to do because if we don't take care of ourselves, how can we take care of our children and our old people yeah. and, and each other if we're not taking care of ourselves? So don't pour from empty we can't pour from an empty cup isn't it? Yeah. It's quite that. Yeah. Yeah I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's good advice. Yeah. Um, and do you have any bad habits or guilty pleasures <laughs> that you would like to share with us? None that I'd like to share. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only honest person who said that so far. Um, no, I mean I do have a lot of uh, a lot of things I enjoy, but one thing I'll sneakily do, I suppose, at home quite a lot when I should be doing <laughs> should um, housework or other things is I will just lay on the sofa with my cat and <gasps> just. <laughs> have a cuddle and just isn't that like the best yeah so that is a and you know that is a bit of a guilty pleasure because as soon as somebody comes in i'll jump up and pretend i was very busy <laughs> housework can always wait i find in my opinion yeah um i like that yeah that's a good one it's the only one i'm going to own up to <laughs> excellent well thank you so much for um for coming on talking to us that's been really interesting i found it fascinating um so we, we can find you on the total health website i think can't we yes yes um and it's rosie waters counseling and you're on the is it bcap i'm on the bacp, BACP. website and counselingdirectory.org and i am in the process of having a website built Ooh. which should should be going live I think, I can't remember the date we've agreed, but I think it might be towards the end of April. Okay, so not long for that, but until then we can find you on several places. So thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. And thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Total Health Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you need any information or links from the show, they'll be in the show notes. And if you have enjoyed it and you're a regular listener, maybe you'd leave us a five-star review. I'd be really grateful. Or perhaps you'd share it with a friend or subscribe so you can hear our future episodes. Thank you so much. Goodbye.